Welcome to B2B Writing Success, the podcast on building a thriving business as a business-to-business writer or copywriter. B2B Writing Success is brought to you by American Writers and Artists, Inc. Now here's your host, copywriting expert and business coach, Steve Slonwhite. Hello, fellow B2B writers and copywriters. I hope you had a great week with your business. This week, the topic is the tale of two antique dealers. Now, I know what you're thinking. What do two antique dealers have to do with my freelance B2B writing business? Well, it has something to do with it. At least the analogy does. So let me give you the backstory so I can explain this to you. Just a few days ago this past weekend, I was at the uh, cottage show. It's a big trade show for cottagers, and I'm not a cottager. I just enjoy going to these shows, these trade shows. And there were hundreds of exhibitors. There were contractors that had uh, booths there. There were real estate agents. Several artists were there selling paintings from their booths, uh, tour companies, and there were two antique dealers. Uh, literally just down the the aisle from each other. And they were both selling their antiques from their booths. But they both had two very different approaches to their business, a very different uh, approach to how they positioned themselves, how they presented themselves, and especially how they priced themselves, how they priced their, their items. So let me describe each one to you. The first one, I'll call them Antique Dealer A. Now, Antique Dealer A had a a double booth. It was just packed with items, just packed with stuff. Uh, Every table, every service uh, surface was piled high with items. It was very much like a garage sale. Uh, He had lots of furniture there, antique furniture, but none of the furniture was refinished. It was all rough and... um, and sometimes in, in a state of disrepair, he had like rickety tables and things like that he was selling. Um, and he was sitting in the corner uh, in his kind of torn jeans and, and, and T-shirt. And, and people would come up to him and with, with an armload of, of these small items and, and, and ask them for a, for a discount. And it was very much like a garage sale mentality in his antique booth. Everything was priced really, really cheaply. I mean, really cheaply. I mean, he sold some odd things. He had bottle caps for sale for a dollar each. And they weren't even vintage bottle caps. (laughs) They were just bottle caps. Um, He had some nice stuff there as well. But this nice stuff was kind of lost in all the junky stuff. But that was the way I I assume he chose to uh, position himself. He wanted to position himself, I guess, as more of a grad sale kind of kind of thing and uh, really cheap items and priced very cheaply and that's the way he positioned and presented him priced himself which which is fine I suppose he had lots of people in his booth and when I was there he had you know he had made a couple of sales while I was there browsing around but then I went down the aisle of the uh, trade show and came across antique dealer B let's call him. Actually, it's a couple. There was a man and a woman operating that booth. Same thing. They had a a double-wide exhibit, a double-wide booth. But the way that they positioned and presented themselves and especially priced their items was dramatically different from that first guy. First of all, um, all their furniture was refinished. 
refinished furniture shined. Obviously, it was all waxed and shined. It it it, it glowed. It looked it looked great. Um, they uh, their items that they chose to sell. You could tell they were very picky. They didn't have a grad sale mentality. Instead, they they very carefully uh, chose uh, the different items they were going to sell, and they made made sure that they were. Uh, you know, displayed in a really nice way. I mean, they had things like uh, old ten- old wooden tennis rackets, for example. They had a couple of those. But even the old wooden tennis rackets, they had refinished the wood and waxed and shined it. And it looked really, um, just, just looked really good and really um, uh, vintage. And they had pictures and they had all kinds of old items and you know, they had an old uh, mill scale with a with a wooden surface that they had refinished, so it could be used as a as a uh, kind of cool looking coffee table. Now, don't get me wrong; they they weren't presenting themselves as kind of a high end snobbish kind of antique store. It was very country, very cozy. The atmosphere, uh, the way they dressed, that couple of dress, they had jeans on just like the other guy, but they had nice jeans and they had these nice plaid shirts and their shirts had their logo on it and their name company name and logo on it and instead of sitting in the corner they were standing up and they were roaming around and they were helping people so it was a very different way that they presented themselves and positioned themselves and and the way they merchandised themselves Um, and here's the thing Uh, something very striking all their items were priced I'd say on average two or three times higher than Antique Dealer A. I mean, they had, uh, there was like, when it came to furniture, there was no furniture there you can get that I could see that was less than $1,000. I mean, they had a small chest of drawers, an antique chest of drawers that was uh, $1,200, and it was very small. So all their furniture was, was, uh, was priced at a premium price. And um, they're, and you knew this because their price tags were really big. They made it really obvious that that their pricing was premium pricing. Even that that uh, that wooden tennis racket that was nicely refinished that I just told you about, even that was seventy nine dollars. You know, so they, so nothing junkish there. You're not going to get any deals there. And here's something really interesting. When I was at the antique dealer A booth. That's the guy who has kind of a grad sale uh, approach to selling his stuff and a lot of junky items. At least two or three people came up to him wanting to make deals. They had an armload of stuff and they said, can I buy this off you for $5 or $10 or something like that? They're trying to make a deal like you would at a grad sale sometimes. But at Antique Dealer B, with all that nicely refinished furniture and those high prices, I didn't see a single person uh, go up and try to make them a deal, you know. So because I think they were just positioned themselves as as premium pricing. This is our pricing, and just as many people were in antique dealer B's booth than than were antique dealer A's booth. Um, so I don't know how much how much each one sold. Uh, when I was at antique dealer A's booth, at least two or three sales happened. When I was in antique dealer B's booth, about the same amount of time. I think at least two sales happened, maybe three sales happened. But here's the thing. In Antique Dealer B's booth, the premium booth, 
every sale they made was a, a, a high sale. They, they, they were getting some, some, they were getting top dollar, you know. They weren't getting bargain basement uh, grad sale money. They were getting top premium dollars for, for their sale. So each sale was probably a $500, $1,000, while at the other booth, each sale was maybe $50 or $100, okay. So that's what I noticed at, at the difference. And here's another difference I noticed, too. And this is just uh, me observing. I, I don't know if this is actually true. But in Antique Dealer A's booth, the grad sale guy who was sitting in the corner with his dirty jeans and his, uh, you know, T-shirt on, um, he didn't look too happy. He looked actually a little bit bored. He certainly didn't look that wealthy. <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong. It's just me observing. But in, Ant in Antique Dealer B's booths, with that husband and wife team, and they were in the nice jeans, and they were wearing the, uh, the, the shirts with their company antique shop logo on it, and they had the nice finished furniture, and they're going around talking to people. Um, there was a sense of pride in what they were doing. Uh, there was a sense of pride when they were talking to customers about their, their furniture and the different pieces that they were selling. You got a sense that they were happy with what they were selling. You got a sense that they were just happy with what they were doing, okay? I suspect they were making a lot more money, but I think it was more than that. Uh, I think they were just very satisfied with what they were doing and the products and, and that they were representing and, and, and you know, just, just how they decided to uh, position and promote themselves as a premium antique uh, dealer with premium antique items, really nice items, rather than the other guy who was, uh, frankly, selling a lot of junk at a very low price. And here's, here's an interesting observation I made. I, I started thinking about what did, that, did the premium antique dealer, antique dealer B, do uh, differently? How much more effort did he and she it was a couple, had, had to do to make their antiques uh, better looking, better presented, to get their prices up. And really, they didn't do that much extra. First of all, they were very picky about the items they decided to sell. They didn't sell everything. They didn't sell bottle caps and broken pictures and old records and, 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 uh, and old unfinished furniture. They were very picky about what they sold. They sold nice Nicely refinished antique furniture, very carefully chosen items, nothing that was junky. Everything looked great. They were very picky and choosy about what they were selling. They sold premium stuff. And also they, they had nice clothes. They were, they were well presented themselves. They had nice jeans, nice clothes. Um, they were on their feet, you know, um, and they were talking to people about what they were selling. So they didn't have to do a whole lot more. Um, in, in, they didn't have to invest that much more. They didn't have to put that much more effort into uh, positioning themselves and presenting themselves as, as, a, as a premium dealer with really nice stuff uh, in order to justify those prices, which are two or three times higher. And they were selling. And there was lots of people there shopping around, Okay. So what is the lesson here to, to you and I as uh, freelance uh, copywriters, as freelance B2B writers? Well, I think the lesson is obvious, is that you need to really think about how you position yourselves, 
yourself in the market, how you position yourself, how you present yourself, and how you price your services. Think about it. Are you antique dealer A in the way that you position, present, and price your services? Are you selling everything? Are you positioning yourself as a cheap, affordable copywriter that will do anything? Is your website sort of not that attractive and doesn't present yourself very well? Um, you know, do you, are, are you positioning yourself in the market in that way? Or are you positioning yourself as a premium provider of B2B writing and copywriting services? Someone who's very good at what they do. And does your website reflect that? Does it look like you're presenting yourself as a premium, top-notch B2B writer or copywriter? Does, the, does your pricing reflect that? Are your prices reflective of, of the premium services that you offer? Is the way you answer the phone and talk to customers and brand yourself, are, are, does that uh, reflect uh, the premium services that you're offering? Okay, because it really does make a difference. Because at the end of the day, Antique Dealer A was selling, in some cases, a lot of the same items that Antique Dealer B was. Antique Dealer B had refinished items. Antique Dealer A had items in the rough, but you know, it's a lot of the same types of furniture, some of the same types of items. But the way that Antique Dealer B positioned, presented, and priced themselves made all the difference, I suspect. So think about that. Think about how you're positioning, presenting, and pricing your services because it really makes a big difference, not only in how much money you make, but how satisfied you are in your business. So I hope that gives you some things to think about. And would you do me a favor? If you have any uh, questions or comments about this podcast or topic ideas for future podcasts, please send me an email. You can reach me at steve at stevesloanwhite.com. I would be delighted to hear from you. And for past episodes of this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes. Just do a search for B2B Writing Success. Or go to the website, b2bwritingsuccess.com. you find all the past episodes there, plus a wealth of other resources that can help with your B2B writing or copywriting business. So I'm Steve Slomite. Until next week, have a great week with your business. We hope you enjoyed this edition of B2B Writing Success with Steve Slomite. For more tips on building a thriving B2B writing business, visit www.b2bwritingsuccess.com.